Let's go through every single package installed on a Linux install DVD, specifically Slackware 14.2. Um, of course, these are all open source packages that I'm talking about on this show, so they probably can still apply to you, even if you're not running Slackware and even if you're not running Linux. These are open source packages, so you can download the source code and run them on any computer, whether you're running Linux, Mac, Windows, BSD, doesn't matter. You can learn probably something from this episode. So let's get started. Today, first on the list is FFmpeg Thumbs. FFmpeg Thumbs is um, a library, mostly. It's a .so file. And it is the thing that enables the Plasma Desktop, the file managers for, from KDE, such as Dolphin or Conqueror, to present to you an image, uh, an outtake, a single image from a video file rather than just showing you a, a generic breeze icon that represents video. So if you go to a, a folder where you have a bunch of videos saved, and I do have a bunch of videos saved, you see a little film strip image. It's got little sprocket holes on the right and the left, and then it's got an image. So it, it's a, a single still image from from that video file, whatever it is, rather than, as I said, just a, a generic kind of uh, icon telling you that, hey, this is a video file. Instead, you see an image from it. It's a, you know, a nice-to-have. Um, it, 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 I think it varies for, uh, on how useful it is depending on your interaction with video files. So, for instance, if you're using your file manager as sort of your video bin while you're editing videos together, then having a thumbnail is is crucial because just at a glance, you can see whether that video is the close-up shot of your interview subject or the long shot of, of the interviewer and the interviewee sitting next to each other. Or you could see if it's just a, a cutaway of a cityscape or uh, grassy fields or whatever, that, that has nothing to do with this project at all, or maybe it has something to do, but it's clearly something that you're going to cut to while someone's talking. Or you can see that it's a graphic, or an animated um, animated graphic, motion graphic, whatever. So it can be hugely, hugely important and helpful if if that's what you need. Um, if you are, if you if I go to just my, my cinema directory, as I call it, to, to differentiate it from videos, really. Cinema has movies on it, movie files, like, you know, like movies that have been released. And and that, for me, is a lot less significant because I know that this is a movie file and I, I, don't, need, I don't need the reference to tell me, you know, to show me one single frame from that movie. Interestingly, the single frame isn't the first frame, which is good because, I mean, the first frame would probably be probably black because a lot of things fade in from black, so it would just be a dark screen. It's not, uh, you know, the first, I don't know, the, the, the 127th grab because that would probably be the slate and so on. So you've got, or the credits. So So it does seem to be 
I, I don't know. I haven't looked at the source code of FFmpeg Thumbnailer to determine what, how it determines where in the movie it, it extracts that single frame to designate as, well, as they say in on online video, the poster frame. I, I don't know exactly how it chooses that. But it seems to do a relatively good job. Sometimes you'll get an odd man out where it's not necessarily super representative of the of the video file, but it, it seems to choose it pretty pretty well. And it does all of this automatically. I mean, I think in Dolphin Configure, Configure Dolphin, I think somewhere in there, yeah, here's Previews, and you can set what you want to have previewed. And one of the one of the selections in Dolphin is video files, and in parentheses, FFmpeg thumbs. So that's the, the option right there. If you, if you decide that you don't need thumbnails and that you're perfectly happy to have just the generic icons, then you can go into your Configure Dolphin menu and deactivate the video files FFmpeg thumbs. If you decide that you like the video file FFmpeg thumbs previews, but but you wouldn't want it to happen on a remote file system that you were browsing, then you could set the option to skip previews for remote files above, for instance, two megabytes, which would be a lot of video files. Or you could skip the previews for local files above a certain amount as well. So you've got a little bit of control there in terms of of whether FFmpeg thumbs sort of kicks in or not. And that's kind of nice. There's there's a bunch of different options in Dolphin about what previews you you get automatically. So that's FFmpeg thumbs. If I take a look at var log packages for that one, it's FFmpeg thumbs. Uh, it says that there are, I'm going to say like 15 files maybe. There's the uh, user lib 64 cute 5 plugins directory which contains ffmpeg thumbs.so and then there's a configuration file, a desktop file, some metadata, and queue logging categories ffmpeg thumbs.categories. So backend stuff obviously. I don't know exactly why there's a desktop. I mean, it it is not a. I mean, it is. It's a .dot desktop file, but it's registered as a K Services five. So, I guess let me go back to a video here and see if it's some kind of. If I right click, and I go to Actions, Create, Data Project. No Actions. No, I just did that. Activity. No. Share, assign, actions. Yeah, no, it doesn't look like... It doesn't look like there's an option here to me to invoke FFmpeg thumbs. It could be a combination of settings. Maybe if I'd had... If I had restrict local files over 5 megabytes, then I could go in maybe and right-click and, and ask it to generate a... You know, sort of as a manual override. So that could be the reason that there's a .desktop file. Either way, FFmpeg thumbs 
really useful little application. It's a workhorse. It just kind of ticks away in the background. You don't notice it ideally. And yet you notice it when you go to a, a folder of videos because you see pictures instead of, of generic icons. And that is nice. Next up is file light. And this, I guess, sheds light on the files that are in your computer, maybe. That's the, the reason that it's called file light. I don't know. But it is a really handy application. It's like a graphical DU or DF, I guess, depending on, how, on what you focus on. So it's it's a little bit like NCDU. I think I've done an, ep- uh, an episode on NCDU. Maybe not. But there there the NCDU is is a nice little terminal command that you should check out if I haven't done a uh, an episode on it. But the DU and DF command, obviously, maybe not obviously, they're commands to show you the disk usage of your computer of the files on your computer of your hard drive or disk space free disk free on on your hard drive. So it's two different ways, more or less, of looking at sort of the same thing. You're trying to establish, well, how full or how empty is my hard drive? File Lite is the graphical version of that. So if you if you want to see pie charts or whatever they are, they're not really pie charts, probably they're tourist charts, I guess. You want to see those, File Lite gives it to you in in pretty pictures with with labels and 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 totals and things like that. So file light, if you if you launch it, it, it comes up as its own window, and depending on your setup, you'll see a couple of different things. Now me, I have I guess apparently oh no one two three four five six seven partitions or I should say I guess seven mount points that file light is is sharing with me. It shows me my root partition, which is apparently 48% used right now. And and it shows me the, the white white half of this pie chart, torus chart thing is, is free. The blue half is used space. Now I've also got a slash boot slash EFI, which is all of 99.2 megabytes. And it looks like it's 16% used. So there's a little sliver of blue in, in the little Taurus chart here. And and so on. And you can go on to the next the USB thumb drive. And here's my game drive. Here's my opt drive. My temp drive. And my external hard drive. So where's my var? I guess var must be part of, part of root now. Yeah, I must have... Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so anyway, um, that's... That's the the initial view of file light, but you can go into each of those those places. So I'll go into the root partition, I guess. Just click on that, and it gives me a little bit more colorful view with uh, a lot more information. And the way that this works is that the cons- the the inner circles of this of this of this ever expanding Taurus and a Taurus and a Taurus and a Taurus is um, it, it shows you the different folders, the different folders of that are present on this on this device. So right now it's telling me that there's a there's 407.9 gigabytes in this in this region right where I've clicked into, and the biggest space being used 
represented by a sort of a red a red region and the innermost circle is a home directory or or is the yeah it's the home the slash home directory not worrying about which user that is that contains it's just literally slash home and then it looks like outside of that there's a little sliver of slash for for slash usr and that's color coded pink now the next ring out are the directories inside of those directories so if i move my mouse out one ring now i'm in slash home slash clatu and i know here that i i know that 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 this folder specifically is responsible for 385.6 gigabytes and it gives me the number of files and the percentage of of what that accounts for and then i could go for instance over here to my slash usr i go one circle out and now i'm drilling down into slash user lib slash user share slash usr slash lib 64 and so on now i can click into any of those to kind of expand that view i'm going to instead stay with my home directory because i feel like that'll be kind of more representative of something um let's let's go out to where what's a good directory well there's my video directory might as well stay talking about that so now i'm in slash home slash class slash videos so if i click on that once again starting at the center you get a certain view of of, of what you're using and then if there's a if there's if there are directories out you know further down then you go out to the next circle now actually in 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 this case there's there, there's really only one subdirectory no that's not true there should be another subdirectory somewhere no that would be in cinema never mind so yeah there's only one subdirectory and that's uh, a bunch of stock footage that I keep on hand for for demonstrations so if I go into that subdirectory then there's a bunch of different files represented by um, little portions of this of this whole torus and it, it, each file gives me exactly or, or tells me exactly how many um, megabytes it, it uses up and so on and then on the inner circle there's always there there are also some files now those files it's telling me it can't find VLC because I still haven't <laughs> installed VLC believe it or not um, I, I wouldn't have believed that if you told me I'd go a month or two months without VLC I would not have believed you but I guess I've crossed some kind of threshold where VLC just isn't as urgently needed by me um, so anyway on the on the on the innermost circle there are also files because some of these files aren't you know these are just levels of a directory right so you know part of this inner circle are are video files themselves and then one portion of it color-coded differently represents a subdirectory and in that subdirectory then if we go out to the next ring or actually half ring then you see the videos in that directory and you can keep doing that with all different kinds of, of folders and it's it's just a great way sometimes to to sort of zero in on or to focus in on on maybe an area of your hard drive that you just you maybe you forgot about or you just didn't realize you'd you'd collected quite that much of whatever 
And I mean, I've definitely done that with file light. I'll, I'll look at a big region, roll my mouse over it, and I'll see that it is 62 gigs for my .local file. How is that possible? I'll think to myself. And then you just kind of keep following the big chunks and suddenly you realize, oh yeah, I've got Lutris still installed and there, it looks like there's about 13.2 gigabytes of who knows what games right now, or is that, that's wine, wine something or another. So yeah, there, there's all kinds of stuff in here, like emulators and things like that, that are installed that, you know, I haven't used in ages. And if I was hurting for um, drive space, then I could get rid of that. Right now I'm not, so I won't. But but that's an easy way to see kind of like, I guess the the, the most obvious offenders. And and a lot of times I'll be reminded, for instance, of my of my workbench area that I my, my my what I call the studio directory. It's studio um, s t u d i o. Um, I'll be reminded that like right now, for instance, I have seventy point three gigabytes of back episodes of, of scratch episodes of this show and of Hacker Public Radio and and whatever else I've been working on in that space. And and admittedly, that's a lot more than what I really need. I could go back. Maybe I'll go in uh, later today and delete some of the of the episodes that have been released, and no one's bugged me about as having a bug or you know being wrong or whatever. So I'll I'll probably delete those now because I don't I don't necessarily need those hanging around. Yeah, I've got I've still got episodes back to four. 11 which was june of 2021 so that that i don't need quite that many episodes in fact i'm I'm selecting a bunch of them right now now actually could i do that i think i could even do that in file light if memory serves so here's a directory called and that's a bit recent um here's one called where's another one 450 ah here's 411 I accidentally clicked into it. Didn't really want to do that. Um, here's 413. Okay, that's fine. So I'm going to right-click on it, and then I could delete it. So I could delete it. I'm not going to. I don't like deleting. I like to trash. I don't like to delete. So, But I could, I could right-click and open that in the file manager. I could take a look at it. I could think to myself, okay, yep, that indeed is not... It's not necessary, and then I could right-click on it and select Move to Trash. And now that's in the trash, and I could do that for several, or I could do that for a lot, or whatever. So that's a really useful thing. So the file light is is great. Uh, every computer could come with file light on it. Like, that would be reasonable, I think. Really reasonable. I can't, I, I'm still somewhat... I'm still surprised when I'm trying to help someone with a with a non Linux machine, and, and you know, like nine times, not nine times, four times out of ten, a computer issue that you get approached with is their disk is full, right? They've got all the actually lately is that true? No, that is still true because they got their digital photos, they got their photos and their videos, all the stuff that's saved onto their computer because they've synchronized their phone to their computer and not realizing that it was going to dump everything on there. And then, they've, of course, it dates back to 20, 
15, so it's it's been years and years of thousands and thousands of digital photos, and maybe some old music files, and and so on. And and so you think, okay, well, let me let me find where like what what they've got a lot of, and they don't have file light because it's not it doesn't ship like a file light application or like application does not ship on every operating system and so there are a couple of different good open source uh, alikes out there um i i had found one i think it was an electron lab uh, app so it was cross-platform and it was quite nice i don't remember the name of it now but that they do exist there are others out there and that's great and really it ought to ship with the OS. I mean, if you think about it, that's part of the maintenance of that device that you have just purchased, and I can't believe that other operating systems don't provide that. KDE, they provide that with the Plasma desktop. You get file light. It's brilliant. Take a look at it. You'll never you'll never wonder where all your disk space went ever again because you'll be able to just ask the question of file light and it will tell you. I'm going to ask you a question now, dear listener. Would you like a cup of coffee? I know I would. Let's go get one. We'll come back, talk about more applications. back hopefully you have coffee i I, i've got to admit i've got tea right now i decided to try tea in my new coffee mug that i was referring to in the previous episode i just love this coffee mug so much and i swear things taste better in it don't know why that would be but i i assume that it must be true because i believe it so uh, i've decided to try some tea in my new mug and indeed it tastes better than ever before it's largely i think due to the attractiveness of that mug okay so let's talk about the next couple of applications in my list which is from slackware64-15.0/slackware64/kde next one is framework integration look there's there's not a whole lot to say about this this is as its description says framework providing components to allow applications to integrate with a KDE workspace. So these are are nice little functions to have if you want your application to tap into some of the KDE features. Very specifically, it's a collection of, you guessed it, where is it, framework integration, um, a bunch of header files in user include, some CMake files in lib64 CMake, and uh, possibly not as easy to guess, um, a user share KF5 info page, uh, in, info page, a uh, bunch of PNGs for the documentation. Um, oh, and there's the um, library itself. That's kind of important. User lib64. Qt5 plugins, K5, K- KF5, framework integration, plugin.so. 
easy easy enough to understand. You import that, you get access to a bunch of functions that are unique to uh, the KDE Plasma desktop. Oh, I forgot about this one. Darn it. Okay, so there's another one. Did I already talk about this one, though? I feel like I've already talked about this one. Maybe not. Anyway, um, I'm going to skip this one for a moment. It's Granatier. Granatier? Granatier. Granatier. Which is a Bomberman game. I don't exactly know what that is, but I'll I'll bet I'll know it if I see it. Um, Okay, so... I'm going to skip over that for a moment because I, I, was, I was geared up to kind of breeze past a couple of them, which is going to be Grant Lee Editor and Grant Lee Theme. Grant Lee is a, let's call it a Jinja 2-like templating system. If you know what Jinja 2 is, that means something to you. If you don't, that's fine. Maybe you've seen Django's, Django's, Django's um, theming system. Maybe not. Either way... It's a theming system, or not a theming, a templating system. So, if you have something to present to people, you could sit there and figure out how everything needs to be formatted, and and you could write the CSS or the HTML or whatever kind of code you need to write for that kind of presentation. And then, of course, depending on how you wrote your code, uh, if someone was going to re-theme your application, then maybe they would have to really just rewrite all of the code, right? Because maybe you've used some paras and some divs and some things that they don't want in theirs or that would conflict with their theme or whatever. Well, you don't have to worry about that if you use a template scheme. And Grantly is is one of the things that that provides... It basically abstracts your your content from from any any method of presentation you don't really have to worry about the present the, the the design of what you're presenting because there's a template and as long as you follow that template then the design will make sure that it is compatible with that template and everything will look as expected or or it will look like you know, like it's not glitching, like it, like it's, like it's supposed to look according to whatever theme someone has applied. So that it's it's a it's a great little system. I used to really not like it because I just never understood the 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 need for a templating system. I just figured, well, if I want something to look a certain way, I'll just write the code myself. That's why. HTML and CSS exist. They're very good at what they do. So let's just use those things. But, you know, you have a choice of tags in those systems. And if you don't choose the same ones that, that someone else chooses, then how are, you know, how can anyone uh, adjust your styles? So for instance, with CSS, you use what are called selectors. And, and HTML, of course, has tags by which you could select something. So for instance, in CSS, you could say anything wrapped in a paragraph or a P tag, let's make that bold. And anything wrapped in, I don't know, a div with a class of important content, let's make that blue background. 
So you've got div and you got, well, you got div within a certain class or ID, whatever I said, and you've got a paragraph tag. Those are two different things. But what happens when someone decides, some content writer, some someone making the application and, and designing the, the header bar or something, what happens when they decide that they need a div around, uh, or, or yeah, maybe they, they want the para, well, no, I haven't done inheritance now. Well, anyway, let's say that they have, a, they have two div classes for some reason, and, and you don't know that that, that they have two div classes. They, they have a div class content and a div class important content. So one of those gets styled with a blue background and one of them doesn't. Maybe it looks a little bit weird in the end. Or, or maybe they put some, some text in a paragraph tag that you didn't anticipate them ever using. And so it gets bolded, uh, inappropriately. It's, it, maybe it should have been italicized instead or whatever. So the specifics start to get, you know, too much flexibility starts to, to sort of, it can, it can cause problems. It's essentially you're, you're refusing to standardize on something. Whereas if you use something like Grant Lee, or Jinja 2, or, or whatever, then you've got a template. You have now standardized presentation. You have declared, this is the information I am going to provide. This, this is the class of information that I'm going to provide. Here's the order in which it is presented. And now you can style it and wrap it in whatever tags you need to style and tag in order to get it to look appropriate for your theme. All I've done is classify the information I'm handing off to you which which is nice because that gives the kind of flexibility to the to the designers to to design lots and lots of variety and 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 we users benefit from that because that's again one of the great things about uh, open source is the choice that you have and so if you want your whole desktop to be themed blue then you've got your your theme that you can choose but if you want it to be themed red then you have a different theme and it can be all very coherent and cohesive because there are standards and and certainly this isn't like this isn't like an official standard but i mean it is it's a templating scheme and as long as people follow it or or use it then then it can be it can kind of all be put together nicely which is great Okay, so let's look at Granatier. And, okay, oh, okay, this is not the one that I thought it was. So, this is a little game. It's a little casual desktop game. You launch it, and you, as instructed, you press space to start. Now, in this game, you are a little, um, I don't really know what you are, to be honest. You're, I think... I guess you're a granatier, and you can uh, click on. Nope, sorry. You can't. Yes, you. Hmm. I thought you could click on a thing. There we go. I just got blown up. Is what you you heard? Um. Okay, so you um, the, the, there are uh, brick walls all around you as this little bomber person, and 
you can deposit a bomb, which has a, a quite, quite a severe area of effect. You can plant a bomb underneath you, and then you have to move out of the way of the bomb in order to uh, bring, t take yourself to safety. And you keep doing that until you clear the board. And that can be quite difficult because the bombs, like I say, have a pretty severe um, area of effect. It's like a good four, four squares, four or five squares away. Uh, and you can get, you can blow yourself up as I just did, or as I did earlier. Now, underneath the, um, oh my goodness, underneath the, um, the things, the brick walls are prizes, and they'll cause all kinds of interesting, um, unexpected effects. Oh, here's a cup of coffee. Okay. Oh, and that makes me go fast. Yeah, this is really cool. So there's a bunch of little, like, power-ups. Well, this is a lot of fun. Oh, I just fell off the edge of the world. Okay. So anyway, that's, um, that's Granatier. Granatier? I don't know how to say Granatier. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It, it's, I mean, you heard the sounds probably over the microphone. Uh, it's, it's, it's wild and crazy. It's a two-player game, so you can have two two people playing at the same keyboard and and i mean that's at the same time one player uses the arrow keys and the return key to navigate and then the other player uses the i think it's the j jkl seems like it must be wasd right it would have to be yeah it is wasd oh oh you can have actually more than you can have up to Apparently five players. Seems like a lot of people around a keyboard, but there you go. Um, so yeah, what what craziness. And it's just a, it's a game of discovery and looting and picking up items and getting little power-ups and things like that. It's a lot of fun. Apparently it's based on a game called Bomberman. I've never, I think, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard of it, but I've never played it, never seen it. I thought this was a different game. I thought this was the one where you're parachuting down from a plane or something am i making that up no no you're you're shooting planes that are then dropping people in parachutes and if enough people in parachutes get onto the ground then they come and sabotage your turret i think but anyway that's not what this is this is granatier and it is a uh, really fun sort of destructive looting and explosion based game very casual very fast and very silly and you should try it there's a bunch of layouts too so when you first launch it you get um you get the the default map the default maze or whatever but if you go into uh the configuration menu settings configure you go to into the arena, then there's there's got to be I mean that's got to be like twenty five different different layouts, and I think the I, I imagine probably the 
the intent here is to have players start on opposite sides of, of maps and then sort of eventually converge on one another for, as you can imagine, all kinds of ridiculous results. So that is Granatier. A lot of fun. If you uh, have not tried it, you should try it. Okay, let's do one more, and that is Gwenview. Gwenview is a great application. I'm a big fan, to be honest. This is the, I guess, you could uh, sort of call it the, the, um, the, what, what was it called? Darn it. F, F, aperture, F stop, right? Yeah, because it's the aperture of a camera. So F stop or, was that what it was called? F stop? I don't know. Shot well. That's what it was called. Shot well. Um, there, there's shot well. And, and I guess Gwynview is more or less the shot well, the GNOME shot well of the Plasma desktop. Which I guess what I really mean there is that it's the general purpose photo viewer and editor for just, again, the general user. So it, it has editing functions in it, which I love, but, but nowhere near the amount that you would find in Krita or GIMP. So when you open Gwynview, and it's, it's generally pretty easy to open Gwynview, you just probably click on a photograph in, in Dolphin. It's usually set as the default photo viewer, unless you've gone in and changed it yourself. It opens up, but the, the really nice thing about it, and, and this doesn't seem like a big deal anymore, but, but I, I remember when it used to be, um, and I think it might still be on some platforms, I think, if, if, I haven't looked at some other, I haven't looked at other platforms in a long time, so I, I'm not sure whether they've caught up yet, but some of the default photo viewers in some places are really underpowered, and Gwynview and, and even Shotwell, or whatever that one is, it kind of really just embarrassingly outshines those. So Gwynview is, is the one that we're talking about, so I'll focus on that. When you open it, it opens to the picture that you've clicked, but at the bottom of the window, or at least that's how I have, my, how, how I have mine set up, but I think that's the default view. I mean, you can get rid of it, but bottom of the window, you've got, yeah, show thumbnails. Um, you've got thumbnail bar, so it, it shows you all the other images in that directory. So it is a photo viewer, but it's also a file manager, because it's now showing you all the other, and just the other, image files in that directory. Which is great, I mean, that's like a, a nice little filter to have. I mean, if you've gone into a folder, like let's say your downloads folder, and you're looking at an image, you might not realize that you have five other images in the downloads folder, but then if you look at, look at it in Gwynview, you'll see, oh, there's five more images here that I forgot about. And because it is kind of a file manager, you can right-click on a thumbnail and do lots of different things. Like, you can copy it, you can copy it to, move to, link to, open with, open containing folder if you forget where you came from, which is possible because you can navigate around within WinView. You can look at the properties of that. You can delete it or trash it or rename it 
or create a folder. So you can do all the file manager -y things right here from Gwynview, kind of just as an afterthought, which is huge. This is so, so great. So there's that. There's the just the file management sort of side of, of Gwynview. Now, speaking of the side, on the literal side of the window, there is a panel. And this panel has three tabs. There's the file tab or the directory tab or something. I don't know what, what it's a file. It's a folder icon rather folders is what it's called. And then there's the information tab and then there's the operations tab. So the folders tab is a file tree of your home directory. So if, if you have gone into downloads, you've clicked on an image, you could go to the folders tab and, and browse through some other folder on, on it within your home directory you go out to your photo your your pictures your photographs whatever wherever you keep your photos uh or you could go back to downloads um so so there's that and once you're on an image then you can click the information tab and get all the sort of the the basic information about that image that you would want to see. For instance, the image size, 1920 by 1280 in this particular case, 2.5 megapixels. The name of the file, there's the name of the file. You can show more details and you can tell it what to show you on a regular basis. And, and that includes general information like file size, comment, and, um, and image size and the name and so on. But it's also got categories for like EXIF and uh, XMP if there was any, and IPTC if there was any, and so on. So you've got lots of options there. You can uh, apply a rating to this fo photograph. You can also give it a tag. You can also give it a description. Now that's KDE-specific metadata. I don't know how to access that data elsewhere outside of the Plasma desktop. I, I really don't know, but it sure is nice to have it, uh, especially if you live in KDE which, uh, you know, I, I pretty much do. So then there's the operations tab, which is great. It's got all the basic image operations. And I do mean basic, like it'll rotate it left, it'll rotate it right, it'll mirror it or flip it. So flip or flop, horizontal or vertical. Uh, resize, it's huge. I mean, you know how many times I've had to explain to people how to resize an image. If they had Gwyn view, that 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 would answer that question. It would be so simple. Uh, crop, that's another big one for a lot of people. Reduce red eye, which, I don't know, I feel like that's less of a thing. It used to be such a thing, I feel. But I don't know if red eye elimination technology's gotten better in digital cameras, or if I've just had to look at fewer photos taken at night with flash. I'm not sure. Um... And file operations, rename, trash, delete. Yeah, that's all the other, that's all the the right-click stuff that we've already kind of seen. There are a couple of different views in Gwynview. There's the sort of the, not the full screen view. I mean, there is a full screen view, actually. But there for, for the window, for the workspace, for the big part where the picture is, you can select the view mode, which shows you the one image. Or you can select browse mode, which takes away your little thumbnail bar and just shows you thumbnails as if though this was in a file manager. So it's it's a file view, really. But they're all, you know, all thumbnails. Kind of look through them, scroll through them, whatever. And 
and then you could click on one to go back into the view mode so you could see that more or less not full screen but you'll you'll see it large it'll take up the entire as much space in your Gwyn view uh, window as possible now while you're here of course you can just use either the arrow keys or the arrow buttons at the top in the top toolbar to kind of scroll through all the images so again that's super helpful i think i find because a lot of times i do have a folder of similar images or related images that i kind of want to scan through in a nice friendly sort of slideshow kind of way to maybe decide which ones i want to keep or or just to see what variety i have to choose from whatever and then there's also a share button which lets you send uh to a different device or share share uh send it to a a specific remote location or send it via bluetooth or email or whatever i don't actually use that i don't exactly know why that's in my toolbar i could probably remove that and then also in my toolbar there is a display the window in full screen mode which literally makes it full screen which is quite nice the the thumbnail bar goes to the top of your window and then disappears unless you're rolling over it which is really really convenient um i don't know how to get out of this mode oh escape and then there's the application menu which just does the same thing as a right click plus the open and the open recent and uh, what plugins you want to enable and uh, configuring GwynView and so on. So there's lots of different things that you can do. Um, you, you've got different themes that you can apply and and all the stuff. It's, it's a KDE application. There's a lot of customization. This isn't Elisa. This is GwynView. There's a lot you can look at here. So it's huge. I mean, it, this really is. It's a big deal. Um, I guess the one thing that it doesn't have, as far as I know, unless it's a plugin that I've never noticed, which is possible because honestly, what I'm about to say uh, is is a little bit silly because I mean, there's 65 more options. Uh, no, okay, yeah, these are just this is just a reiteration of stuff. So yeah, what I was going to say is um, is that it's missing, for instance, color correction. Uh, brightness, contrast, that kind of thing. So for me, while it's nice to know that basic image operations are available, I have to admit that the moment I think, ah, oh, there needs to be an adjustment there. I mean, one of the first things I ever adjust is, is the curve, the Luma curve, and the Chroma curve, really. Um, so that, and this doesn't have those things. So it's a little bit less it's not something that I actually turn to for image operations, although I do appreciate that those image operations are here. I have used them before. I've used the crop. I don't think I've ever used the resize for whatever reason, um, but I've, I've, I've used crop. I've used um, the rotate option. So, so it is, you know, it's something that I could use, but it, I, I don't use it that much. The, the color correction for me, color, color, the chroma and luma adjustments, for me, that's kind of the one thing, and this is the silly thing. I mean, it's, it's the, those are the one thing that separates this from, say, dark table, or, or, or I guess, well, no, from dark table. Um, and that's silly to say because dark table is worlds above, like, worlds away Gwen view. Like, it's, it's got so much more 
than Gwenview. So it's silly to say that the, the, the one thing separating this from Darktable is Chroma and Luma adjustments. That's not correct at all. Like Darktable has so many other features that separates it from Gwenview. But I guess, I guess if there's a thing that makes me think, yeah, I should, I should just install Darktable right now and, and, and have that available to me. It is the, it's the inability. I think, for instance, if I had Gwynview with Chroma and Luma curves, I think I would then go to Gwynview, you know, possibly, I don't know, five out of 10 times and be perfectly happy with Gwynview. And it wouldn't be until that sixth time that I would think, oh, okay, now I need to do Darktable because I, I really want to want to mess around with this image and, and get a couple of different filters going and, and really, you know, have a couple of different versions of the same image and so on. So I could see, I could see Gwynview essentially uh, delaying the need for Darktable. I don't know why you would need to delay the need for Darktable. Darktable is a fantastic open source application. There's no reason not to have it on your computer. Um, I'm just, I, but it's for, it's for the same reason that I keep marveling at how I don't, I haven't used VLC yet on this computer. It's just, it's a weird place to be when applications get so darned good that the, the workhorses you're used to absolutely needing to have and to the point where you're just like, why doesn't this just come on the computer? Sometimes these little applications start to edge towards those and you think, Actually, I don't know if I do need that to come on the computer. I can just, I can, I can forestall that until I need it. Which, again, there's no reason to do that. It's just interesting to see how, how the gap between the pro and the consumer end of things sometimes becomes. It's more interesting than it is useful, I guess. So that's, that's Gwynview. It's a fantastic application. It really, really is really nice. I, I enjoy it. Um, I enjoy it sort of in the way that I enjoy um, a dolphin in, instead of a terminal, for instance. It's, you know, it's, it's, it isn't something that I necessarily need, but it's something that I just kind of, when I open it and think about the thought and care that has gone into designing and, and coding that application it it impresses me and it, it makes me all, almost I, I don't want to use the word proud, but I it, it makes me happy to be a KDE user. I think this is why I'm a KDE user. Like this is one of the reasons. Like these applications, a lot of thought have has gone into it. Serious maintenance goes into it all the time. It, it's 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 been a companion for me for years now. And, and that's huge. It's, it's a really, really special kind of place to be. And, and the fact that it just kind of keeps getting better and better in small but significant ways, that just makes you feel really good. So yeah, Gwynview is, is a really cool application and I would absolutely recommend it to someone who's looking for a, you know, just, just that basic photo viewer. Or, or basic photo editor. It is one of those applications that ought to be, again, just like FileLite. It just should be there. It should be on oper- It should be on an operating system. Like if if if, if you're distributing a, de- a distributing a desktop to to consumers, then 
Gwynview and Filelight should be a part of that desktop. And and if they're not, then something like them ought to be. And and if that's not, then you're probably not using Linux and you, you might want to consider doing that because these are just normal things on, on a Linux desktop. These are not... I'm making it seem like it's a big deal. This is not a big deal. This is the state... This is the default state of the Linux desktop. We have useful applications that are well supported and and that make life really easy. Like all the little tasks that you have to do that you don't think about, you continue to not have to think about them because you don't open them up in an application and realize, oh, I need to go buy the pro version of that application in order to do this one little task. Or, oh, this is only a demo version that will only work for so long. Or, oh, I needed to be online for that application to work. That's the Linux desktop. This this kind of convenience is all over the place. I hear that outro music coming in, so that must mean this episode is indeed at the end for this week. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open theory, so complex and so puzzling.